Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show today. I am super excited to introduce you to my friend, Jared Ribble. Jared and I have known each other for... 20 years now. He is one of my best friends and he is one of my favorite musicians. He is an incredible drummer. He has toured all over the world. Um, he works with all different kinds of musicians, all different types of bands and artists that he works with. Uh, he is a studio engineer. He owns his own studio. He has played on multiple TV shows and has just got a lot of experience and knowledge when it comes to music in general and working within the music industry. So I'm excited for you to hear his story and to hear just kind of our history of knowing each other and how we've worked together throughout music in our lifetime. He's played drums for me multiple times. He's tracked on most of my albums and I'm just excited for you to hear his story. So sit back, relax, and get ready to take lots of great notes. All right. I am here hanging out with my one of my best friends. Whoa. Yes. Jared Ribble. How are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. Super honored and excited to be here. Thank getting you. Getting to talk with you. Thank you. Yeah, man, you are one of my best friends oh, for thanks for that. 19 and a half years now. It's been, yeah. That you and I have known each other. Since I moved to Nashville, you're one of the first people I met here in town and had the amazing privilege of being friends with you and touring with you and recording with you and just making music and doing life together. It's been yeah, awesome. We've, we've made a lot of music together. It's been, it's been good. Yeah. So you and I have, just for the audience to know, um, so I moved here in 2000, in the summer of 2000, and you and I met maybe within a month of that, I think. And then we're shortly, shortly after that, we're out touring together, playing for another artist. You were playing drums, and uh, I was playing guitar and um, backup singing and whatever. And so... That's how we initially met. Yeah, yeah. And Traveling around in a van and a trailer. Just, just some guys that barely knew each other yeah. were out on the road. and. <laughs> yeah, but you know, there's something, there's nothing like a van and a trailer and long drives for a group of guys or, or gals, whatever, to really dive into each other's lives, learn, you know, learn a lot about each other and become really, really great friends. Yeah. I mean, you're traveling around, you're in the trenches with each other. Yeah. You're changing flat tires together. You're loading in gear together. You're, you know, sleeping on somebody's floor, you know, somebody's a brand lots new apartment. Lots of couches and lots of floors that we have <laughs> yeah. done. Yeah. Um, man, it's, it's good times. Yeah. I don't ever really want to go back to that type of touring. Right. But 
It's good for a season. It's good for a season when you're young and your back is healthy, you know, to, and, and I look back really fondly yeah. on those times. We were at 9-11 together. We spent that day, 9-11 Yeah, together. September 11th, 2001. Yeah. So when the terror, for people who are like, what does that mean? For whatever reason, if you don't know what that means, for the terrorist attacks in New York City on the Trade Center. Yeah, you and I were actually out on tour together yeah. playing for another artist. People always ask me, where were you at 9-11? And, and I, I remember think, we I were- I was with Marty Keith at a McDonald's. At a McDonald's, just outside of Nashville, heading to South Carolina to Myrtle Beach to yeah. play a show at a college. And- we stopped at McDonald's. They happened to have a TV in there, and we're ordering. We happened to turn around and look at the TV, and one of the trade centers was on smoke was coming up, was on fire, and everybody was freaking out. And that was before they actually the towers fell. Right. I don't remember if we were in the McDonald's watching the towers fall. No, I'm not sure. we no, we saw everything was on fire and that the smoke was coming up. And then once we got back on the road, we turned the radio on and listened to it pretty much the, the whole day, right. the whole trip. And we yeah. just sat in silence and just w- listened. Yeah. But that sure was. Yep, so yep. random Random thought, thing, but, but... Every time someone says, where were you at 9-11? I think of you, yep. and I think of that time. Same same with me. as I was Jared Ribble and at a McDonald's just outside of Nashville. That's <laughs> yeah. exactly right. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Uh, wow. A lot of history. A lot of history together. Yep, so. made some records together. It's been good. Yeah, so for people to know, Jared is one of my drummers that... Um, on my recordings, the albums that I've put out over the years, you've played drums on r- recordings with me and uh, have engineered a lot of those projects, and we've worked on other projects together. And So we can talk more about that a little bit later on. But I, I want to go back and briefly talk about your history and where you're from and how you got into to music to begin with. Sure. I, you know, something I was born with wanting to be a drummer mm-hmm. I mean the time I was two years old I was banging on pots and pans I remember vividly my parents would we'd go to the downtown Christmas parades and that sort of thing and I'd always want to watch the drum line we'd go to high school football games and I didn't care about the football at the time I cared about where are the drummers so my parents knew that I just had something within me that was going to be a drummer and it also helped that my dad was I call it, he's a uh, a hobbyist concert promoter. So where I was from, Nina, Wisconsin, up northeast part of Wisconsin, tours did not come through there. Yeah. And uh, we were, he, my dad, we were heavily, heavily into gospel music and contemporary Christian music. So my dad would bring whatever the hot act was at the time. He'd, he would promote the concert up in our area. So I was around these shows all the time and drummers you know the drummer in the band and I'd, I'd, I'd just key in on that guy and um, so my parents knew that I wanted to be a drummer um, of course they put me in piano lessons first which you know that's neither here nor there uh, but very quickly when I was nine uh, they got me into drum lessons and it just kind of took off from there mm-hmm. now the funny story though is my first band director in seventh grade he did ask my parents, um, is Jared good at anything else? Because he'll never really be a drummer. <laughs> really? Well, yeah, I mean, but I had been taking drum set lessons for several years. I had never played concert bass drum or, or timpani or bells right. or anything like that. I had yeah. no interest. That's a different, that's a different whole beast. different thing. Percussive arts is different than just drum set. Yeah. So I do kind of remember that story. But to this band director's credit, though, after my parents said, well, have you tried him on drum set? And the band director was like, well, we don't have seventh grade band literature that has drum set. 
this old crotchety band director did go out and find some literature that had drum set and he did feature me playing drum set okay so to his credit it was really cool um but it did help kind of hook me you know because otherwise i probably would have lost interest in playing bells and timpani and whatever yeah but um so i i'm appreciative that he did that even though it's kind of a fun story to say he didn't think that i'd ever be a drummer yeah <laughs> you know? but that's cool that they your parents knew something about you that he didn't and encouraged him to say okay let's let's focus the attention this direction yeah into well, something that you did know that you could incorporate into what they were doing already right and that allows you to shine all of a sudden that gives you a platform right because if if he hadn't listened to my parents and at least found some literature that had some drum set in it i probably would have bailed and all the music education i would have lost because I never would have picked up band again. Mm-hmm. I would, it, it would have been a travesty, really. Because, yes, I did need to learn timpani and bells and all that other stuff to become a better, more well-rounded musician. And I probably never would have had that opportunity or, or I would have quit on that opportunity because I, I wouldn't have gotten it. You know? Right. So uh, I'm curious real quick, just because you're talking about when your dad was promoting concerts and bringing in these bands and artists, and you were locking in on the drummer. How old were you, kind of that time frame? Uh, three, four, five. Okay. So the, the w- po- problem was is that I hated loud noise. I yeah. hated loud sounds. Yeah. So I'd want to see the drummer, and my dad would actually take me backstage or up on the catwalk, you know, just so I could see the drummer. But it would be so loud that it would drive me nuts. So it was this weird push and pull with me. I remember even as a little kid, I want to see the drums, but it's too loud, you know. Yeah. So did you ever get to actually meet? any of those drummers like would he take you up to them and say hey this is my son jared he loves drums yeah you know and they kind of encourage you and yeah with anything? certainly on, on occasion and uh, and not everybody he brought used drums so um, but i remember vividly in high school there was this super hot they were just at the top of their game hot act called dc talk yep and uh their drummer of course so many people know him his, his name is will denton yep at the time um and will if if you were to go around nashville all the guys that are you know 40 35 40 years old all the drummers you know you would find probably 50 drummers that will took under uh his wing as he was out on tour with dc talk and stephen chris chapman and i was one of them you know so after the show uh my dad just said hey can my son come uh say hi and of course will's like yeah and yeah and he talked to me for 30 minutes which i was just blew my mind but even more than that so then will um left dc talk and went to stephen curse chapman the yep. year later and my dad this is before emails this is you know before cell phones my dad gets a phone call from will and will said hey i'm gonna be uh passing through town uh with stephen curtis is jared around i'd love to just hang with him nice and my parents graciously let me out of school and I hung with Will the whole day. We came over to my house. We played drums the entire day. I mean, so it, that, that's a great, one of my great stories of a guy that, you know, just bent over backwards yeah. to encourage this high school kid. Yeah. Um, that's invaluable. Yeah. He, he didn't have to. And, and then of course I go out and I've become a professional. I'm out, I'm out on tour and I tried to pay it forward to a point, but, I, you know, that's, that's hard when you're on the road every day, you're tired, you're exhausted. Now he had a day off, but even then, if I have a day off on the road, I'm sleeping in, I'm going to the gym, I'm doing 
a whole tons of stuff and you know that he would do that for me it was it was really awesome and he, and not just me he's done that for i'd say 50 or more yeah. you know high school kids that's cool i mean that's great i think that's encouraging to to know that and for audience to know if you're a musician and you're doing this for a living to any level and if you can incorporate what you know and what your passion is and you can infuse that into someone else that's watching you that's giving you that says hey i want to do this and i like what you're doing you know whether it's teaching somebody i'm a guitar teacher you right. know, so i teach students you know and so i i get to do it that way um but just to know that you know if you can go hang out with somebody and just encourage them whether it be talking with them or playing some music with them or whatever Man, that goes a long way. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. if people did that with me, like Stephen Curtis would come, because everybody knows by now that, you know, we're from the same hometown. His dad was my guitar teacher, and I've known them most of my life. So, and you and I are close to the same age. So whenever Stephen Curtis would come back to Paducah at, at the time when I was in high school or early college age, and he would come in to visit and go to his dad's music store, and I was there and I was working for his dad at the time, you know, that was huge for me because he would sit down with me and let me play one of my songs for him. Right. You know, just to just to encourage me and give me feedback. And like that was invaluable. Not one because he is my favorite artist, you know, but he's also a friend. And you know, but just to have that dynamic of someone who's willing to that you look up to so highly and regard them in such high esteem for who they are, what they do, and they're willing to to give that back to you and to encourage you is yeah, invaluable. Do it. You know. Yeah, so the two lessons here. One, be that to somebody. Right. You know, as a musician, encourage the younger generation, encourage other people around you. But the other lesson for some, for a high school kid or a junior high kid who wants to be a professional musician or is thinking about it, reach out. Reach out to one of your heroes. Yeah. You know, now with with all social media, it's so easy to connect with with people. Um, it doesn't mean that everyone you reach out to, your your drumming hero in my case, uh, that they might respond. They they might not respond, and you got to be okay with that. Yeah. But I would say seven times out of ten, they probably will. Especially nowadays with with it's, social media. It's and too everything. easy. Yeah. It's too easy it's to do it. Everything. So it's so you know whoever your hero is, I would not be afraid to reach out to him and say, hey, I want to do what you're doing. How did you, you know, and interview him, ask him, talk to him. Yep. Because for the most part, we all enjoy talking about what we do. Right. Because I love playing drums, so I'm passionate about it. I want to talk about it, and I enjoy helping other people. Yeah. So the two lessons there, help other people, but don't be afraid to reach out. Uh, it's, a e it's, it's just really easy these days. Yeah, yeah. Let's continue on. So you're in, in uh, Wisconsin. Now, you're from the Appleton, Wisconsin area. Yeah and Oshkosh, that sort of that area. So another guy that I've had on the show recently, his name is John Doherty, and you know John. Oh, yeah, I know He's John. the director of Life Fest. Yeah. And he was in town uh, not too long ago, and so we got to get together and visit. Haven't seen each other for forever. So we got to talk about Life Fest, and I think we, we talked about you a little bit and just the fact that you guys knew each other, and at least off the record, we were talking, just discussing, you know, that history of knowing each other. and Sure. You know, just, just knowing each other. You know, knowing people from different areas and having that that connection with people that you can kind of circle back to years later, right? And have opportunities because you've played at at Life Fest, at his festival, 
many times with oh, yeah. different bands that yeah. you've been a part of and played there I've, I've spoken there yeah i've been but there's there's a unique history there too is that my dad was a board member for life promotions who owned that festival right. and whatnot so he was on the board my mom used to work that festival just i think as a volunteer she was actually the person sitting in the trailer that would pay the bands yep she paid me one time <laughs> right, right. <laughs> when i got to play there <laughs> yeah so um so it was, she has she has stories and i'm not going to share them they're her stories but she has stories of the managers because she that's who she's dealing with right the manager comes in to get their paycheck yeah and so she's she's got her stories of what manager she likes what manager she doesn't <laughs> you know that uh, sort of that's thing. interesting I, mean, I need to have her on the show <laughs> yeah, right well i mean I'm you, just kidding. you couldn't you couldn't call out somebody no i'm that's... just kidding i'm not gonna do that um so you know from that standpoint is it's kind of cool again um my I, I i credit my parents and my dad uh for get kind of getting me going because he he, he, he owned a roofing company Right. He was not in the music industry, but he had a passion for it. And so he volunteered his time in that area because he knew it was good for the community. So he would, like I said, he'd bring in artists that he, that he wanted to see that he knew would be good for the community. And then because he's doing that, you know, Life Promotion says, man, you need to be a board member of what we're doing here, you know, because your passion lines up with what we're doing. And so it's all volunteer. Um there's a nugget of, of goodness in there that someone wants to pull out, you know, hey, if, you know, volunteer where you're passionate, you know, yeah. it changes people's lives. You sure. Know? So. So what brought you to Nashville? Yeah. So, uh, you know, going back to these bands coming through town, whether it was Life Fest or whether it was just my dad promoting a show, my brother and myself, my brother's two years older. He was a keyboard player, music synthesis guy, mm -hmm. and I was a drummer. So. We would just start asking the musicians on stage, hey, you know, if we want to do what you're doing, where do, what, what should we do? And almost to a T, they said, go to Berkeley College of Music in Boston or go to Belmont in Nashville. So my brother went to Berkeley. I did some summer studies programs up there in high school. And I loved the school. I thought it was great, but it just wasn't for me. I, just, I knew that this is great for the summer, but this is not great for four years for me. Great school, yep. not you know, it's different strokes for different folks, but we've came and visited Belmont and there was just something about Nashville. There was something about that school. Um, we happened to be visiting on the day that the, the Belmont big band was performing and we came to that concert and I just was, I was blown away. And from that moment on, I knew that I had to be the drummer in the Belmont big band. Okay. So I applied my, you know, I had terrible SAT or ACT score. So I got in, but barely, I got in on ac academic probation and whatever, but they let me in. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness. At least you're in. Yeah. And I came to, I came to Belmont, you know, and, um, for me, my professional tree, I call it my career tree, my professional tree, um, and how I got from this gig to this gig to that gig to play on this session to this TV show, it all, the the tree all goes back to Belmont. Okay. Um, so, and then f beyond that, you know, it goes to my parents helping me get there and all that. But my professional tree, uh, the roots are at Belmont. Okay. And I love that school. I'm very proud of that school. Um, it is not the only way to do sure. uh, to do it. Um, you can certainly become a professional without going to college. But for me, that's where it all started. Okay. And to a large degree, it started with the Belmont Big Band. Because Marty, you have to audition to get into that big band. And right. I auditioned 
every semester, eight semesters, to get into that big band. And would you believe that I never once was able to get that chair? Never, ever. Never, ever once. Okay. Now, that's, for me, that's hard to believe because I know you as a drummer. Sure. And you're one of the best drummers that I know. And I know lots of amazing yeah, drummers. Yeah, there, there are. There, there, but there are amazing drummers out there. And the particular years that I was at Belmont, there were some other drummers that just happened to be better at that or better than me. What? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Now, I had tons of playing. I mean, if, if you go to Belmont for if you go to Belmont for music, you will be playing so much music for recitals and for all these ensembles and you know extracurricular stuff so it's not like you're not going to have the chance but i specifically went to belmont to for get that. into that band and never did and never could do it now i played percussion in that band so you know we had you know we had the drummer but then there was percussion players and so i was always able to play percussion in the band but that's not the chair that i wanted now pause for a second yeah go back to high school and the music director at high school is saying are we sure that this is what Jared's good at because you're he's wanting you to do stuff that you're not you're not doing stuff that he's wanting you to do sure you know now, you're not good at the time we're like maybe there, is there something else that Jared could do because he's not great at this and now you're doing this very thing at Belmont right <laughs> I want to back up it wasn't high school it I'm was sorry. seventh grade okay seventh grade middle is pretty school. young middle school yeah. so we you know not to get deep in the weeds in the story but we ended up moving school districts ended up at a different school district which actually had much better music programs and my eighth grade band director so one year difference different 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 city different director different school asked me what do you want to do when you grow up and I said something other than play drums. And she looked at me and said, you are nuts. Do mm. you have any idea how much opportunity there is to, for you to be a professional drummer? And she taught me mm. all, you know, all these different opportunities. And from that point on, eighth grade, I had my sight set on becoming a pro. Okay. And, you know, then go through high school and just, you know, really went at it. And yeah. um, was a big fish in a small pond, moved to Nashville, go to Belmont, much smaller fish in a in a in an ocean in a, in a yeah in an <laughs> ocean or at least bigger pond yeah um but i had my sights set on the belmont big band okay and all i could ever manage was to play percussion in that band now so, what does that do for you mentally and i don't say your ego but just because this is what you're this is the reason that you're here oh that, i mean that's your whole thing and you don't get it like what is that how does that affect you wanting to do it professionally or, it, or did it, it? It didn't affect me wanting to do it professionally. Okay. Okay. The only reason why I wanted to be the drummer for the Belmont big band, the only reason it's not because I love big band music. That is in part the problem. It's not that I loved big band music is because that drummer was deemed the best drummer on campus. So really what it was, is I wanted to play in the Belmont big band so I could wear the banner of he must be the best drummer on Belmont's campus. Mm. But you see where there's a problem there mm -hmm. is that I wasn't passionate about that style of music. So why would, and how could I ever be the, the, the right drummer for that? I'm going to say job. It's not a job. It's an yeah. ensemble. Why yeah. would I be the right drummer for that ensemble? If I'm not passionate about that music. Yeah. 
doesn't make sense. I didn't get it at the time. I just wanted to be the best. Yeah. Now, what's interesting about my story? I'm shaking my head and yeah, because you know where this is going. I know where this is going. (laughs) So you know where this is going is that so I'm spending four years, eight semesters in college, working on my big band chops. Okay. Never can get to that chair. But I made all these friends in the Belmont big band because I was playing percussion. Okay. And there was a a lead the lead trumpet player. during my time there, his name was Denver Beerman. Okay. Oh, he uh, was at school with you. He was at school with me. He was oh, the lead trumpet player in Belmont's yeah. Big Band. Okay. So Denver, it's his name, Denver. He's not from Denver. He's from Indiana, but his name is Denver. And so he is doing arranging for the Belmont Big Band. He's writing, and he even starts his own little big band. I was not the drummer for it uh, when he started it, when his best friends from high school was. But... I knew Denver and I knew all these guys that were in his band because we were all in the big band together. Well, the drum spot for that, uh, for his band, Denver and the Mile High Orchestra. Yep. That's the name of the, this band. It's a, it's a funny, fun, loving, silly little Christian big band. Yep. Okay. So these, these guys start going out on the road and doing little shows and whatever, and their drummer leaves. And so Denver, I'm in my senior year now. He comes to me and he's like, hey, man, I need I need a drummer. Would you be willing to come play with me? And I said, you know, big band's not really my thing. So I will I'll play for you until the right guy, till you find the right guy. And I kid you not, that was August of 2000. It's 2019. And I'm doing Christmas shows with Denver 19 years later. Yep. 19 years later, yeah. I've been playing for him all these years. Yeah. And I never wanted to. So what's what's so funny, I was never passionate about big band music. I had been studying big band music to try to get into the big band Belmont Ensemble for eight semesters. Never was able to get to that chair, but I was being prepared professionally for something else. Yep. So I, that's sort of the cool story. I was so mad and so irritated and I get so frustrated that I could never get to that spot. Mm-hmm. in college but there was a bigger purpose i don't know you know i'm a man of faith i do believe that god can you know lead your path through life and that was just one of those things where i think god was setting me up uh sure for my professional life and then through denver's band that's the route or, or the the career tree that led to certain tv shows that led to all the tv shows i've appeared over 50 times over on major television you know networks and it all stemmed from belmont's big band that i never was able to play in. <laughs> but denver saw something in you yeah and invited you to come be a part of it and so that that opened up a whole yeah a whole thing for you and what was really kind of cool looking back um because i i was never a, i i did never i never had a traditional big band sound to my playing so i brought this unique um twist a like unique a pop edge. twist yeah, yeah a pop a pop pop rock twist to big band now i can swing like i know where a swing is supposed to be right. but then to add this sort of pop rock element to it funky element to it because i was with him during those early early days i create help create a sound right. so so his sound comes from his writing his voice um the lead trumpet player mm-hmm. and the drums. Mm-hmm. So between those three things, it is Denver sound. Right now, 
sadly anymore i can't do all the shows so it can be tough for him to find a drummer and and guys will old time guys that are still in his band call me up he's like man it's just not the same you're not here it's like of course it's not going to be the same right because i have a unique thing that is uniquely me right you know so i get to hang my hat on that which is kind of fun yeah and that's cool and i think that's important for for listeners to know everybody has their own voice right in what you do no matter who's playing for who if someone hires me i'm going to bring something a little different than the next guy that plays guitar right we may be equally as good as one another you know i might be better than him he might be a little better than me even if we can both pull off the exact same job we're both doing the same thing and accomplishing the same goal we're going to do it a slightly different way just because of our stylistic choices are a little different or whatever you know and that's neither good necessarily good or bad it's just different so but it's important for people to know it's okay to have your own style right you know you're going to bring something unique to the table that no one else is going to bring yep you know and so make that a staple of who you are and what you're about is that you've got something unique to bring to whatever it is that you're doing whether it's an ensemble group you're playing for someone else you're a solo artist or or whatever because i think it's it's easy to get lost like i said you know you're you're a, a big fish in a small pond from where you're from but you come to a big major music city and you're a small fish in an ocean of of other players that are just phenomenal well you know you didn't get the the ultimate thing that you were hoping for at that time but you brought something unique to someone else that built their career right you helped build a career for you and for denver and and all the the people playing for him you know that created this sound and this style that was uniquely you guys you know and that would have happened the same way if it would have been someone else that he had hired instead of you right exactly so yeah so yeah the 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 nugget here is dive into what makes you unique Mm -hmm. now a high school kid a even a college kid I couldn't have told you what made me unique in college. Sure. I was still just learning styles. I was learning how to read charts. I was I was still learning so much. But as soon as you can start identifying what makes you a unique musician, the fingerprints on your hand, it's it's as that is a part of your your musicianship, the the uniqueness. So as soon as you can figure that out and dive into it and go for it, do it and own it. And what's what's great about that is when you understand what makes you unique, you get less offended when you don't get a job. Mm-hmm. So when you go and audition and they don't choose you, yeah. or when you are doing a job and maybe you've been working for a particular artist for a year or two and they let you go, the big old fired, I got fired from this gig. Well, maybe it's because someone else has the uniqueness that they're looking for and what what makes you special is not what's helping them right and you can't be offended at that sure so there's other reasons to get fired and whatnot but that's a whole different story but yeah the fact that it's just that you don't you have something different than what someone else is needing exactly it's not it's not a personal issue right and that's hard for anybody i mean i've been let go of things like that for those types of reasons and it's hard to not it's hard not to get offended. Of course. It's hard not to. Well, because Let's just be honest. It's hard not to. But at the same time, you're correct. It's like, okay, what I have to offer is just not what they need. Exactly. It's not a personal issue. 
it's a professional thing that they're looking for a specific style or sound. And this person here, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, I see this person. They are accomplishing that better than I can. I get it. Yeah, it stinks. I don't like it that, you know, I can't, I can't pull off maybe what they're doing because we think, oh, well, I'm a professional musician. I should be able to do anything that is necessary. And most of the time, most of us, we can pull off what is needed, but there's still those little nuances yeah. that people are looking for that yeah. you can't maybe always provide for them. Not, yeah, not at all. So, but it, it feels personal in the moment. Um, it's really impactful when there's dollars attached to it and mm -hmm. you're trying to feed your family. Um, we spend years working on our craft and if someone says that ah, that's not what we're looking for, it, it does sting for sure. Mm -hmm. But you know, I'm, I'm going to go back to my history. I was not the right fit to be the Belmont big band drummer, right? but I had a purpose four years later that was extremely unique, unique to me. And nobody has been able to fill that chair the way I can fill that chair. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's tough in the moment, but you got to just work to yeah. get over it. Now, I want to jump ahead a little bit in the story because with you being a part of Denver and the Mile High Orchestra and, and for the audience listening, uh, and I'm going to put in the show notes a link to some of Denver's music sure. so that you guys, they can go listen to what the music is and hear you drumming and know what that music is about but you guys got an opportunity to be on on a show similar to like american idol and the voice but it was for bands right it and, was it was produced by american idol yeah by so so talk about that a little bit what that show was and what your experience was in that setting sure and how, and how you got it yeah well um first off those shows any of those shows are very manufactured right. <laughs> so if you're watching the voice if you're watching america's got talent uh, American Idol, you know, know that they're, it's reality TV, but it's scripted reality TV, right? Mm -hmm. So American Idol was in their first segment, their first time when they were on Fox, at the top of their game, they thought, well, let's do the same thing for bands. And uh, Denver heard about it. And he's like, well, shoot, let's send in a video. We had some videos. And so we sent an audition video and they chose us to come out and live audition. Okay. What we didn't know at the time was they had picked us. They had sort of pre-selected us to get all the way to the final 10 or 12 because they needed a certain amount of, of variety in the show. Now, as you know, with some of these like American Idol, American Idol especially, they can twist what you do to write their own story. They got to remember the season of American Idol or The Voice, they are writing a story for the whole season. The producers are. So you have to, it's, it's uncomfortable because you're like, where are they going to fit us into the story? Are they going to make us foolish because we're this Christian big band, which, you know, at, at its core can, if you say it the, the wrong way, it sounds pretty silly. Um, so how are they going to twist this and, and whatnot? But <laughs> I, I firmly believe and have it on good authority that they got us on that show. They put us on that show to be an American band that, that fills out the variety of the show, but they wanted us off quickly. They wanted us off quickly for two reasons. One, we weren't that cool. And two, we were really expensive. 
because they're paying us to be there. Mm-hmm. You know, I got a, a weekly stipend to be on that show. And then, two, they paid for all of our food and lodging. Now, how many people are in the band? Well, I think, time? I don't know, there's R- probably roughly. 12 out there. Okay, so 12 compared to three or four member band, right. usually. Exactly, right. Yeah. So we were expensive. Yeah. They wanted us, they wanted to just tip our hat to this American style. And then they wanted us off quick because we we're expensive. Okay. So, but the problem is when you have 12 people, and in the band, you've got that much reach for voter, for mm. voting power. <laughs> so yeah. so a band with three or four people, all their family and friends is way smaller than a band with 12 people and all of our family and friends. So we ended up making it all the way to the finale. because to the we top were, three. Yeah, the top three, right. So because we were good enough yeah. and we had a, had a pretty wide reach. Now, uh, for me, that was the time of my life because I learned really quickly out on the road with Denver doing promo stuff on, on TV that I loved TV. I loved playing on TV. I loved the pressure of TV. And that show, that really was live. It was not live to air. We taped on Wednesdays. It aired on Fridays. But you got one shot yeah. in front of the audience. And if you screwed up, they weren't coming back to say, well, you know, mm-hmm. let's give you another shot at that. It was live to tape, and you drop a stick, you screw it up, it's, it's too there. bad. Yeah. And coming from the Christian world and doing a lot of Christian TV where you might have a shoot with four or five cameras, this was 13 cameras. And it was it was really exciting. And and you're playing now, you're, you're going live, uh, playing live, that's going to air to several million people, um, a much different level of pressure. Yeah. And it was, it was just awesome. I just loved every bit of it. And it was great. So it's interesting that you're like, they really wanted to get you in and out pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. You know, um, and I understand that, that you say it, having 12 people in the band and just that it's being expensive. Put that aside and just focusing on the musical aspect of not you're a very humble person just by default uh, and you never make a, a big thing about yourself or what you do. Uh, so you, you're like, you're sitting here sitting here saying that, you know, well, you know, we were, we were okay. We're good enough to get to the, get, you know, to get there top 10 or whatever. No, I, I'm going to correct you because I've watched you for 19 years. You guys are phenomenal. Thank you. You truly are. And people need to go, Watch, pull up YouTube and pull up Denver the Mile High Orchestra and watch some videos. Well, America's next great band. It was band? called Next Great American Band. Next Great American Band. So that go on, look that on YouTube. I'll put a link in the show notes for it. Because um, I remember watching one, uh, it may have been the finale. I remember one time they put the camera on you from in that side view. And you're, of course, you're you're a very animated drummer anyway. And yeah. so your hands are all over when the place. When I was younger, yeah. And, uh, and I remember you like looking at the camera. And you're like you're you're like ah, you know, doing this kind of sure. thing. And I was like, dude, and it was so good, you know. And and I remember it was um, watching the the judges because it's the lead. One of them is the lead guy from Goo Goo Dolls. Right, Johnny Resnick. Johnny Resnick, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I remember like they they were impressed with you guys. Yeah. You know, they, like they you guys are really good. They they would they would go back and forth, and you could tell you could tell it was scripted, because depending on. Okay. You want a little a little inside? Yeah, I do secret. because okay. this is what people because there's somebody listening like I want to get on American Idol, I want to get on The Voice, I want to get on America's Got Talent, I want to get on some kind of show 
because people are auditioning for these things all the time, thinking that this is how they're going to get their career started. And for some people, it's true. It is going to happen. I, I work with people right now that have been on those shows and I'm out touring with and doing whatever. So for people that are listening that are like, I, I want to get this is maybe this is my way into the industry. This is how I'd launch my career is through one of those things. What does that really look like? Sure. You know, so yes. Well, go into I it. mean, from, from our, from our perspective, it, it was, it was scripted. The, the comments that the ju judges were making were scripted to the point where there's teleprompter showing them what to say. Okay. Now what one particular week, and I, I couldn't tell you which one, but we remember just laughing about it afterwards. So we'd go into rehearsal, just our band, and we'd be writing, arranging, you know, and rehearsing the arrangement uh, that we came up with. And truthfully, Denver is the main arranger for our band. So right. he'd come up with the arrangement. We'd, we'd rehearse it on the first day of rehearsal. And they make us record it. The producers want us to record that rehearsal. So then the producers listen to it, and they start crafting the script. Well... We changed the arrangement between rehearsal one and rehearsal two because we didn't like it. We said, we can do this better. And the script that they wrote was based on the original mm -hmm. arrangement that we did. Interesting. And so when Johnny Resnick is saying something about it's just not funky or it's too funky, I don't remember what it was, but we all just looked at each other and thought, you got to be nuts. What in the world is he talking about? It wasn't that at all. Yeah. But they had wrote the script off of our first rehearsal tape. Uh, I see. And then we changed it. And they never said you can't change the arrangement. They just yeah. said, be ready by Tuesday. We, <laughs> we, we were, were ready. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, but it was pretty cool. Like, it's just thinking back to rehearsals, getting uh, on a rabbit trail. For me, uh, we were rehearsing at up in Burbank. I want to call it center staging. Uh, it's a big rehearsal facility. And we're in one rehearsal room, and next to us is John Mayer rehearsing. And on the other side of us was the American Idol house band rehearsing. And then on, in another building was U2 rehearsing. So it just was like, have I arrived? <laughs> Surely I have not arrived because I'm not, you know, it, but it was, it was really, really cool. Yeah. You know, and um, that was when uh, Pino Palladino and... Steve Jordan were playing with, um, with John Mayer. With John Mayer. So, you know, you walk out of our rehearsal room and there's Steve Jordan's drum cases with all his name on, you know, out in the hallway. Yeah. And you're just like, man, this is, this is the coolest is thing it. ever, you know. This is what I've, and yeah. And then one week uh, we were rehearsing and the American Idol house band invited our band to come hang with them in their rehearsal room and watch them. And we talked. And so I got to hang with uh, Teddy Campbell and it was just, it was it was really, really cool. Great, great experience. That's cool. Yeah. So what was it about doing live TV that, doing that show that made you fall in love with doing live TV? Because there, you've done a lot of other stuff, getting to perform on live TV, and a lot of people in, that are listening want to do that. They want to get into playing music, whether it be on a TV show or being on American Idol, something like that, or being in a house band, mm -hmm. possibly, or... Yeah. Whatever so, it is, you know, award shows or whatever. So what was it that made you kind of perk up when it came to doing TV? I I just, I love the pressure of it. Okay. So, um, you know, this was, this was playing, you know, we did 13, 15 episodes. Um, but I've been the Dove Award house band drummer, been other award show house band drummers, um, 
been a house band drummer on uh, a show on TBN for a real famous piano player. Um, did you know 30, 40 episodes with him. So there's something about television that is just you got to get it right. Mm-hmm. If you don't, there there are certain t- certain shows that you might have have a chance to recut something, but when you're having to sync cameras and sync audio and and you have a hundred people on the set that have to redo what what they're doing because you screwed up, that's a whole different level of pressure than when you're in the studio and five people have to <laughs> to, right. to recut something. Sure. So I just love the pressure. Yeah. I really I really really do. Some it's, people work great under pressure and some don't. So yeah. It's got to be something that you feed off of, yeah, to do it well. Um, I like to. There, there's a there's a speed and a pace that comes from that. Um, I I am not the guy that loves to just go hang in a recording studio and rehearse things and try things and get creative and oh what about this sound and oh what about that sound let's move the mic here or there and that's not me yeah. you know to, to that's just... funny because you own a recording studio <laughs> yeah but if you if you see my studio five spots of isolation it's set up for a band to come in and play the song right now you know i've been on sessions that you know we just sit and get creative and try stuff that's not really what I love to do. TV doesn't afford you the time, so you got to come in prepared, ready to go, yeah. and 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 there's just that pressure there. So that's what I like about TV. But we sort of skipped over. You were saying, you know, some of your listeners might be trying to get on American Idol or the Voice oh, yeah. or whatever. Yep. Um, I have some tips. I have some thoughts that I, I want to share with please them. Please do. And yes, it can be a career launcher, mm-hmm. and that is fantastic. And I say go for it. But watch those shows carefully from the start of a season to the end of the season. Ask yourself, what story was the producers trying to craft? Because at this point, you are you're an actor and a performer that is performing and acting out their story that they are trying to tell. Okay, so it's really, really obvious with America's Got Talent. That if you have if you have a unique story, something that pulls on the heartstrings of the American people, you have a better chance of getting on the show. So it's a lesson. <laughs> it's a lesson in craft your story. Figure out what your story is, craft it, tell it well, um, because that's what those shows want. And then they will infuse that into their bigger story that they're trying to tell. So I know several people who have who could sing circles around some of those performers but they didn't craft a good story going in in some cases it was a non-story in some cases it was well i mean i'm i'm i come from a wealthy family and i'm just a good performer that's not a story that compels america mm-hmm. you know so really pay attention to what your story is and how it can be woven into the story that the producers are trying to tell through the season. Yeah. So that's, that's really big. Okay. Um, the other side of it is reality TV is about drama. So you have to remember that they may sort of craft some drama. They may keep you up really late or or they may not provide. I've heard of this on. Um, it was the X Factor. I one of my buddies was on the X Factor, and he said that they specifically would hold you in a room with thirty other people and provide you with ten bags of chips. 
So one, they, they were doing it on purpose because they were trying to create drama. You put hungry people, you know, uh, I, I don't want to say enslaved in a room, but, you know, sort of locked in a room, so to speak. Well, we're, we're waiting on setting the cameras, but it didn't take it shouldn't take six hours to set cameras. So they had people lock, locked. I use quotes here. You can't see it, but they had uh, 30 people confined in a room with 10 bags of chips. So not enough food for everybody. And it's going to create drama. Mm -hmm. It's going to create fights. And they've got cameras in there to capture it. Think about that. Yeah. So could being on the X Factor launch your career? Sure. But you have to be willing to put up with whatever drama they are trying, they're going to try to put you in. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's, just be careful. That's interesting. Be aware that you are stepping into the bigger part, the bigger story. My contract that I had to sign for a Fremantle said that they can use my likeness in any way that they deemed appropriate for the show, regardless whether it was positive or negative. Yeah. So I had to be willing to go onto the show knowing that they may show me in or craft me into their story that was not positive. Yeah. And you just, you have to be willing to put up with that. And then also know that at least you know with the Fremantle contract, um, Fremantle Media Fremantle is, is American Idol. Fox is the company, or, the production company that puts those shows on. Exactly. Yeah. So the Fremantle contract was, and you're going to go through the show, and we now sign you exclusively to our record label, to our management company, um, for a for for however long the, the contract was. I don't remember at the time. So. Because the idea is we are not going to give you this platform in front of millions of people for you to capitalize on. It is for us to capitalize on. Us, Fremantle, us, our record label. We are investing that money, millions into it. So we are the ones that are going to get first crack at the money that could be generated from our investment in you. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. That's, that's that's just part of it. That's part of it. That that's being a record label. That doesn't mean that you're not going to profit off of it. Yeah. But they own it, you know, and they should because they're the ones that put up the money to do it. Sure. So anyway, just know that stuff going in. But by all means, go for it. You want to go sing on American Idol, and that sounds fun to you. Do it. Yeah. Have at it. Because it does launch careers. Yeah. It, you know, and whether you end up being Carrie Underwood or Kelly Clarkson, some people are going to get that exposure and reach that height in their career the majority of people won't but it doesn't mean that you can't be successful coming out of it and and building a career for yourself and i know plenty of people that have done it right um, i'm actually working with a guy right now that was on american idol and i'm out touring with him and playing for him some and yeah um you know phenomenal singer and artist and you know had his his moment quote unquote and had his story yeah um, that they, and it's a great story, and it's and he's been able to use that to encourage people all around the country and go in and speak and and do. His name is Dave Pittman. Yeah. And he has Tourette's syndrome. And I remember watching him on the show when it first when it came. It's like nine or ten years ago, I think, when he was on at the time. And because because he has Tourette's, that was his story. Right. You know, and and it tugs on the heartstrings, and he was able to use that afterwards. I think he made it to Hollywood at some point in Hollywood, got cut. But because of that, he was able to build a career and go in and speak in a lot of places 
and sing and share his story and then encourage people. And a lot of people that uh, grow up being bullied and because of whether they've got a condition like that or for whatever reason, no matter no matter what, you know, if you're being bullied for whatever reason, uh, he's able to go in and encourage students in, in school, high schools and middle schools and things like that. And then um, share his music and then share the gospel because he does Christian music sure. now. And so, and it's been fun to get to work with him and learn his story and be a part of that because he's still doing that, you know, nine, 10 years later. Yeah. You know, but that, that helped launch him was because of that. So, yeah. So there's another little golden nugget for all you listeners. Uh, just because you think this is to your detriment, like mm-hmm. Tourette's, he actually turned that into his advantage. Sure. What, what, what was his disadvantage? He used it to use for his advantage. Yeah. And we all have that. Everybody's got have, something. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your disadvantage and how can you turn it around and use it for something positive and encourage other people? Yeah. Especially as a musician, because people look up to people that are musicians and are, and are artists, you know, people that are in entertainment for whatever reason, people in the entertainment industry are lifted up higher than others. Who knows? Like we, we all do it. Sure. You know, we all lift because it's something that not everybody can do, I guess, you know, and it's, music is universal, uh, universal language for people. And so people connect with that. And so for those of us that, that get to do this for a living on some level or on any level, you know, you get to use your platform to encourage people and lift people up, you know, that, that goes a long way. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. That's cool. I, I did not expect to have that conversation today. I, I, no, that's what's and awesome I love about it. doing this. Yeah. And that's, but that's really good because like we said, a lot of people want to, want to get into it. So that's cool to know some of the, the highs and lows that are associated with working with a, in reality TV and yeah. music. Yeah. You can't, you, you are being used for their art, yeah. not for you to uh, show off your uniqueness necessarily. So uh, it, 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 it is what it is. It, it, yeah, it's it is what it is. Go in with eyes wide open. So, okay, I want to back up a little bit because you're saying that you've been, you've played drums in house bands for yeah. different TV shows, award shows, and things like that. So I know we were talking about earlier that everything stems back to Belmont being as far as your 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 tree that you you call it um, of connections. So how did you end up getting into playing? and house bands on live TV award shows and things like that. Sure. Well, some of that was because um, by the nature of Denver and the Mile High Orchestra, you know, the, the, the type of band it is, the type of musicians that are in that band, um, it lent itself, that band lent itself to being a house band okay. um, on various shows. So whether or not it was specifically... And here's Denver and the Mile High Orchestra off to the side of the stage being the house band. If it was, it, not, it wasn't necessarily that name, right. but it was basically that band. Right. So uh, a television producer would see Denver and the Mile High Orchestra out doing what we do or on the Fox show or whatever. And they'd say, well, wait a minute. You guys would be a great house band. Here, come come work on my TV show and, and do that. So that's how the Dove Awards thing happened, um, some of the TBN shows. And then once you get into that world then you kind of continue to get hired for other for other such types of shows. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a Christian version of American Idol that came out. I was the house band drummer for that. Then when the TV show Nashville came through town mm-hmm. and they were filming here, you know, you get called for that kind of stuff. And that's a whole different thing. Okay, so let's stop. I want to talk about that because people that 
that listen to this show know that I've been on Nashville. Right. The reason that I got into Nashville, I get to be on that show, is because of you. Sure. Because you got to be on that show. So how did you get called or connected with <laughs> Sherry Cunningham to be on that show? Right. She's okay. the one who brought us in. Right. So... <laughs> Um, again, it, it stems from the tree. So I'm out with Denver and the Mile High Orchestra playing on Fox out in L.A. Okay. And there were other bands out there that were from Nashville. And Sherry knew some of those other people. That were on the show That with were you. on that same show with us. Right. And uh, I stayed friends. Oh, Six Wire. Yeah, Six Wire. So, yeah. so Six Wire is on that show. And uh, when Nashville, the TV show, started producing here in town... They called Six Wire because they were the right look for a particular band on that on, on, the on, on the show. So I knew those guys. And Sherry was telling those guys, hey, we need other musicians uh, for other bands and whatnot. And so they said, well, here, here's a drummer. Call Jared, you know. And, mm -hmm. and I was the right look and the right thing for whatever Sherry needed for that moment. And then because she just kind of was starting to spread the word, I said, well, if you need a you know, guitar player or multi-instrument guy with red hair, call Marty, you know? Right. So, so then you got called for some of that yeah. stuff. So, um, and playing on that type of TV is very different because that is, you are actually an actor. Right. So and, what we were doing, we were in the backing bands, the backup bands for the artists, for the actors on the show that were quote unquote artists. Right. So, and they would have a band that was playing for them. We were the band playing behind those actors. Correct, correct. We but we were just acting. And I made the mistake the first time I showed up on set, I went to check in with the... Um, extras? Yeah, extras. I went to the extra check-in table. Oh, yeah. And they look at me and they're like, well, you're not on the list. I'm supposed to be playing in one of the bands. You're not an extra. You're an actor. Get over to the trailers, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, in their very L.A. way of uh, yeah. chastising you. Um, so... <laughs> you know, you're, you, but the point is, you're an actor. You, I didn't play on those sessions in the recording session for, but I had to act as if I am the drummer playing that on the stage. Okay, so. now explain how that works because we're playing to music that's already recorded. Correct. So explain what that, how that's working, and then what you're having to do. Yeah. In your, so, in your so these songs that you hear on the show Nashville, they're recorded in a studio. Beforehand, beforehand with a with us with session players and whatever, um, then we get the tracks a day or two, really twenty four hours, not at even twenty four hours man. at the most. I, yeah, at the most, I, nine o'clock at I night. I have to like emphasize at the most. <laughs> yeah, nine o'clock at night. You're supposed to be on set by five a.m. with the songs memorized. You know, so um, yeah, you don't get much time, and that's part of the gig. Like you can't complain about that. Yep. And Sherry, you know, she knows who can handle it and who can't. Yeah. So. Anyway, so you got to learn and copy exactly, exactly what they are doing on that recording. Because if, if I'm hitting a symbol and there's no symbol on the track, well, it, visually it doesn't line up and it doesn't work. And eventually I'll never get called again. So you really do have to know and learn and memorize exactly what they're playing. And on that show, because it was so music heavy they really cared about making sure it looked right. Right. So they had a music director on set yep. that's watching the whole time. Colin. Yeah, coming up to you saying, hey, um, are you sure that that's the part? Because it doesn't look like what I'm hearing. And, yeah. you know, you really had to you really had to dive in and be really careful. Yeah. Um, 
I loved doing those. And I will always do them when Sherry calls and she's called for some other stuff for lifetime movies and whatever that that's been doing. And, and that's great, but that is not where I'm at my best. I'm not at my best copying what someone else does. I'm at my best when I can bring my uniqueness to the table, but here again, I want to feed my family. Yeah. And so, it pays, well, it pays great because yeah, it pays I mean, it's, it's paying like a student, like you're like a session. Yeah, I mean it's like it's actual, on the card. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's it's on the union card. So, um, so you get paid appropriately, and then of course because it's union, it's being tracked. So, however many times that thing airs beyond what you originally your mm-hmm. original contract was for, you get paid. Yeah, you know, mailbox money. Yeah, every year, once a year, you'll get right. Like so royalties, quote unquote. Yeah, for, once a year, I. Get su- I, I always forget when it's going to happen, so it's the surprise yeah. mailbox money, and you think, great, this is awesome. I'm going to go take my wife out to dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is, yeah, it's, not, it's not tons, but it's always something. And yeah. so, and I want people to know that, that are listening. It's like, okay, if you're, you know, you get opportunities to, to play on a TV show as a musician, whether you're acting or whether you're doing a live band as a, you know, in a house band or whatever, every time those things air, you're going to get residual royalties or something. You get residual money at some point for that every time it gets aired yeah. on TV. With the caveat, provided that that show is done through the union. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, right. because because the musicians the, union. Yeah, the musicians union because it that's who tracks. That's who keeps track of it. Mm-hmm. You know, believe me, if a television production company cannot pay you, <laughs> right. you know, extra money every time a rerun happens, they would, I'm sure, be happy to not pay you. So they have agreements with the unions, and the union helps track that, uh, so that way you can um, get get your extra extra payments. Now, for instance, the show on Fox. This is nothing against Fremantle, and it's nothing against Fox, but that was not done on the union card. So. For all the I American know, Band Show. Yeah. So for all I know, those shows have re-aired in you know Mozambique or some random country in in Africa, and I would never know. So I'm never going to get a get a, a a residual payment. So same thing, like you know, if any of that stuff airs on YouTube and makes generates income, I should in theory get my portion of that. But right. there's no way to track that because yeah. it was not done through the union. So. Point being, not every television show is going to run their stuff through the union. Mm-hmm. So don't just show up on set of somewhere and someone pays you some cash afterwards and you think you're going to get mailbox money. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's initial. You're getting paid up front for the actual job you're doing. Chances are you may not get anything beyond that. Yeah. Sometimes yes, yeah, sometimes no. It just depends yeah, on unless, if it's going through the union. Unless the, the contract was negotiated through the yeah. union. So. Um, that's good. That's good stuff. I mean, you're just you're just a well. <laughs> this is full of knowledge. I, love I just hit stuff, and man. Make, but and you've make... been in so many different things, parts of the business throughout your career. Yeah, you know that have allowed you to to gain all this knowledge, you know, and experience. So now I remember back in two thousand four ish. I want to say you when I was five years old. Right, right, and I was six. Yeah. So, um. We were out on tour playing for another artist, and we were in the van, vehicle, whatever that thing was, and I remember you looked over at me, and you, you said, you know, I think I want to start a recording studio in my house. Now, that was a, a fairly new concept, even at that time, for here in Nashville. People were just kind of 
getting into that, I, th- I think. You know, it was kind of starting to change quite a bit, you know, around town, but it was still fairly new, not like it is today. Everybody's got, you know, their bedroom's got their own studio. We have studios in our pockets if you have an That's iPhone. That's true. If you have an iPhone. You've got a recording studio. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I remember you said that you looked at me in the, in the vehicle, and you looked over, and you're like, you know, I think I'm going to start my own studio in my house, in my basement. I was like, that's cool. Okay. And because I was thinking, I've got, I'm going to record an album soon and I need a place to record. Sure. <laughs> you're, you're my friend. Can you give me a, can you give me a discount? Right, right. <laughs> you know? So uh, what made you decide to start a recording studio? Because now, now that studio is gone. You're, you're in a different uh, house now. And so that where we're, we are now is the recording studio that you built a few years ago. And this place is phenomenal. I love it. But what made you decide to do that, and what is the process of going through? Because this is not just a studio in so in your bedroom, you know. This is like a full fledged recording studio. You got grand piano in a room. You got drum kit in another room. You got a control room. You got vocal booths. You got like the whole an entire studio built in the basement of your house. Sure. You know. So what possessed you to do that? And how has that... Some demon possesses me to, to do something stupid. No, no, no. It's not stupid. It's amazing. I wish I had this. But to go to the to the extent that you have done to, do a, to create a full-fledged recording studio in your home and then uh, and to build, you know, your career part of what you do now as a studio owner and an engineer, you know, out of here... And what does that look like and how have you built your business doing that? Because a lot of people want to do that, but trying to figure out how to how to really make that work. Sure. The the main thing, well, there's several main things to start with for anyone that wants to do this. First and foremost, it does not come overnight. Mm-hmm. This is you know, in our microwave society. Get everything you want instantly. Um, this does not happen overnight. And in 2004, I suppose that's when I said it, um, I knew that tours come and tours go. Uh, You know, someone might be touring 30 dates, and that's a great paycheck for 30 dates, but then you might have a month off. It was 2002. Okay, 2002. I got it back. It's my head. I'm I'm seeing it in my head now. Sorry, I had to back it up. Great. Whenever it was, (laughs) early 2000s. Hey, man, you know, I think there's an opportunity to make a recording studio. Why not? Um, So... (laughs) <laughs> youthful ignorance, uh, youthful ambition, I, I should say. Um, so first off, it doesn't happen overnight. Okay. And you can, you start with what you can afford. And if that's a computer, a laptop computer and a two channel little interface, you start there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just start making music. The, 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 the beautiful thing about it is it's all about just making music. The, take the take the tools that you can get your hands on. Don't go into a whole bunches of debt to to buy the fanciest blah blah blah. Just start making music. You have an iPhone in your pocket that has GarageBand on it. Make music. And at the core of what I what I wanted and what I really am passionate about is just setting up an, the opportunities to create music. So. You know, I went and in my off time, I worked for Home Depot because I wanted to get lumber cheaper to build a wall in my basement of that house. Um, It didn't last long. I was not good at Home Depot, (laughs) but I got the lumber I needed to build a wall. So I built a wall. And then the next month I saved up and was able to buy 
some other part of the process. And it was just this little two room, uh, I call it a little recording studio, a little cave down in the basement of my house. Um, I loved being able to create music. My production style is not uh, slice, dice, cut up, you know, programming, Katy Perry kind of records. I really enjoy grabbing musicians and capturing their performance. That's what I really enjoy. But along that uh, long that time, I became dear friends with a Berkeley grad who uh, was a producer and was producing some records that I was playing on. And he came to me and he said, man, we, we could make a company out of this. We could do this and become a production company. So he and I started a, a little recording outfit called Advantage Music Production. Mm -hmm. And we handle all aspects of the recording process. We take some clients, they want us to take them from zero all the way to finished product. Some clients are just like, hey, can you mix this? Some clients are just, I just want arrangements, fine. So any part of the process we do. And I realized that we could do it effectively at my little cave of a recording studio. And then over time, you know, just realized, okay, we outgrew that space. We outgrew that house. Uh, and my family moved to a different particular house that just had so much more space that I could build out. And using money from the first go around and saving, you know, we were able to put it into the second one. It's not a massive money maker. Too many people in Nashville in particular that we all have uh, recording studios in our houses. I could think of five in this neighborhood that we're sitting in right now, in my neighborhood, which is just your standard run-of-the-mill uh, Nashville neighborhood with maybe 100 or 200 houses in it, there's at least five that I know of. One's on my street. Yeah. So because of all of that, it's it's a it's a pro and a con. The pro is look at how easy it is to make more music. And at the heart of who I am, that's what I love. The con is that you don't make a ton of money at it because there's a bunch of us doing it. Right. And uh, so it's really a it's I'm not losing money. Certainly I am making some money, but it's not like it's 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 the end all be all to feed my family. But it is the end all be all for my passion for creating an environment where people can make music. Yeah, it's also, you know, one of the main things about the show is that it's to encourage people that are doing multiple things in, to make a living in music. So owning a recording studio it's not the only thing that allows you to make money. It, it provides a portion of your income. Yeah. It's not all of your income, obviously. Correct. Because you're, you know, you got the recording studio, so you're, you got clients coming in that you're getting to record them or produce an album or a song or whatever it is. You got all these different aspects of what you can do with that as a production company with Advantage Music Production. And then the recording studio, 745 Studio. Yeah, 745 Recording, yeah. Uh, the the production company rents studio space from me. Right. You know, and and we don't as a production company we don't use my studio exclusively. Right. We have other spots that we go to. Sometimes I'm booked here, and my company can't rent spot rent space here. You know, mm -hmm. so it's it's a weird. You know, I have two separate businesses: the recording studio and the production company. Right. One rents space out of the other. Yeah, but then you know, but then you have to be a drummer. Yeah. You know, and you're going out either doing session work because you're doing lots of. Um, albums that you record on or you're yeah. out playing live for different artists you know so you know you're kind of the epitome of doing multiple things that allow you to make a living in music like I do yeah you know and so that's what I want to encourage people with it's even even for those even for the people that that do this full-time that are having great success it's still having to do more than 
one or two or three things to be able to make a living, to be able to pay the bills and support your family. And that's what it comes down to. That's what we're trying to do is support a family for you and me because we have families. We have, you know, we're married and we have kids, you know. So my view of success in music is can I pay the bills to provide for my family and get to do music full time? That's for me, that is success. That's that's not always the case for everybody. Everybody's going to look at it a little differently. But I think for you and I, I think that's the goal. Oh, without and I think a, that's for the doubt. majority of people. Yeah, w- w- without a doubt. You know, it, what what is it to be a professional or semi-professional versus amateur? Amateur, we do it for fun. Semi-professional, we do it part-time and, you know, have a good time with it. Being a pro is, for the most part, you don't have to take other, take on other work mm-hmm. uh, outside of music. Now, so it's something to, to hang your hat on. However, Marty... There's a there's a source of pride, and pride can be good and pride can be bad. Um, I have a dear friend of mine right now. He's having a hard time paying his bills, being a musician, and he is uh, very seasoned and has done very well for himself as a musician. And for whatever reason, the story is not what has happened to him or what choices he's made, but the story is he's struggling to earn a living now. And he's struggling with his pride to go get another job outside of music, outside of music, yeah. um, or outside of being a performer. Yeah, and that's holding him back. You know, there's nothing wrong with for a period of time to do something different, sure, or to branch out and go work a side job just you know so you can pay your bills. Mm-hmm. I know one of let me let me say this because the name of this podcast is you can make a living in the music industry. It is not, you must make a living in the music industry. Sure, and that, that, that's a fair point. You know, I, I want to make make sure that to say that because for all the episodes that I've done so far and the point of the podcast is to encourage people that you can do this. It's not wrong to not do this, obviously. Like, I want to make, surely people know that, but I, I just want to make it clear. Well, right, and, and, and <laughs> the point of this podcast is great, and it's part of the reason why I wanted to be on it. I... I because it is true that you can make a, mu- a living uh, doing music, but you can't be so prideful right. that if for a season you got to go mow lawns. Of course. You know, for me to get started, I was um, I was working at Home Depot. I was doing temp jobs, uh, working at a temp agency, and then I also I worked for a landscaper. You know, so the time that you and I met, I was working for a great landscaper who was very generous to me to say tell me a week we can every week tell me what the next week is going to look like are you going to be on the road or are you going to be working for me mm-hmm. and all he had to do was so he could plan appropriately sure and without that landscaping job i wouldn't have been able to do it yeah so it's not like you go to school and or you show up in nashville and you instantly get a job or you instantly get a job playing music and you, you might be having to do some temp jobs and some um, or it's part time, yeah. It's part time music for a while, and like, and people know this by now that I did. I delivered pizzas for years, right? Like six years when I first moved to town, I was delivering pizzas when I was in town, and then I was out touring, you know, getting to go out and be on the road beyond that. But whenever I came back, I had to have a job, yeah, that, you know, because I wasn't getting in town work at the time, you know, and that's stuff that just it's slow build, right? You know, some people jump straight into it and are successful right off the bat, and I've had plenty of people on the show that have done that. Oh yeah, uh, but then. I would say the vast majority of, of us, that's not the way that it works. Right. You know, you have to work your way up to that. Oh, yeah. And then once you get there, then 
then you're off and running to be full-time music. But even when you, like you're saying with your friend, you know, and even you right now, you're not even doing it completely oh, full-time. You're, you're no. doing some outside stuff. Right. But part of it is I want to, and am making a shift, not completely away from music. I love playing music, but I'm adding to my career, uh, being a professional speaker and presenter. Right. So I get hired by various organizations to go speak on their behalf. And I love that. It's it's accessing a skill set that I've never um uh that being a musician I've never you know taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. So that's just something else I enjoy doing and you know adding to what I do every day. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But it, but in fairness though and, and maybe this sounds prideful, but in fairness it wasn't because I wasn't making it as a musician. I totally was making it as a yeah. musician. Some of it, I kind of got a little bored out on the road. Yeah. Shh. Yeah. Quiet, don't say no, that. I mean, don't but that's 20 well. years out on the road <laughs> with a lot of the same people. Yeah. Uh, some dear friends, but some of it is just, okay, I've seen all these towns. Now, honestly, for me, Marty, yes, it's a paycheck. It's not really even about the music anymore. It's about an experience. So, um, you know, 20 years into it, a theater is a theater is a theater. I've played over a thousand churches. Every church, you know, I've seen every type of church out there. I've seen every type of theater out there. And I've been to multiple countries now. So for me, am I going out with great friends? I want to hang with my friends. And is it going to be a great experience? Mm-hmm. Am I seeing something new? Mm-hmm. Um, are we going to a new country that I've not seen before? Are we going to a new city that I've not seen before? And I don't hole up in a hotel room when I'm at that city. Uh, even if it's some small town in Kansas, I will get out. Uh, where's the town square? Where's the used bookstore? Mm-hmm. Where's the best coffee shop? And I walk to it or go to it because I just want an experience. So that's kind of getting off the beaten path. But um, point being, you know, I, w- I want some new experiences and being a professional speaker and presenter is part of that, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, uh, I, I want to back up a little bit and talk about, cause when you first started advantage music production and you started the recording studio in, in the basement of your first house, you started a record label. Yes. Called real loud records. So I want to get your opinion on what that's like. Like, what is it like? Why did you start a record label? It's an independent record label. Mm -hmm. Um, Why would you start a label? And what does it look like to do that? Because most people are out as independent artists and they're just out on their own or they're wanting to get signed to a major label. Yeah. And even even to an independent label nowadays because a lot of indie labels are are big labels that people know, you know, big machine records Sure. that Taylor Swift was originally on and half the country market is now a part of is technically an independent label. Oh yeah. You know, even though they're huge now. Sure. You know, so there's tons of those out there, but why, why did you do that? Okay. Well, this is rewinding history a little bit. And so the chronological order was Jared goes to college. Jared starts playing with Denver, the mile high orchestra. Jared starts a record label. Jared then starts a production company. Oh, so sorry, that, I was backwards. No, that's okay. So, <laughs> so it's it's we have to get the order yeah. right because it, it, the story will make more sense. And ultimately, all of it comes down to what did why did I do all those things? Because Jared wanted an opportunity to play drums. Yep. Okay. So what happened was, 
Denver and the Mile High Orchestra were signed to an independent label. The distribution company that was distributing CDs, friends, they were distributing CDs because that's when what the medium was at the time. <laughs> that uh, distribution company sold a bunch of their records but went bankrupt with all the money. So now Denver didn't have any money to do another record. So who comes along but Jared's dad. Good old dad. Uh, who, who was doing promoting concerts for free who, yeah, back in the day. Yeah, who's promoting concerts and, you know, was a roofing contractor and whatever. So he kind of understood a little bit about the business, you know, uh, a little. And he comes to me and he says, well, Jared, you know, I could loan Denver some money and uh, do a record. You know what? I'm like, fine. You want to loan him some money and do a record? Fine. So he does. But the problem is my dad tells Denver, but make the best record you can. You don't ever tell an artist that. That means the record will never be done and it will go way over budget. So that's what happened. So now what was the first, we went a hundred times over the budget that we originally set mm. because we're trying to make the best record we possibly could. Right. Big mistake. So now my dad comes to me and he's like, well, Jared, maybe I need to put some money into promotion so I get my money back. I said, well, that's kind of a record label, dad. He's like, well, you want to start one? Now, now, remember, my dad's a roofing contractor. Mm -hmm. I'm just a lowly little drummer. And with my w music business 101 class that I took for one semester at Belmont, I was answering his questions. And he's like, well, you want to start a record label? And I thought, well, if I don't start a record label, I'm going to lose my job with, with this band. The only music job that I have right now. So it was a means to an end. Okay. Um, but we, so we signed Denver to it. And uh, I will say very proudly by years four and five, we were generating over seven figures of revenue. Really? Total combined. Their tours, their record sales, everything, which is great. Yeah, it's awesome. Ask me how much money the record label actually made. How much money did the record label it actually make? It was completely break even. We, in order to get to that seven figures of revenue, we had to spend that much money in order to get it. Wow. So, it, you know, from a, if I had kept with it, if I had kept going at it, you know, another five, 10 years, you know, cause that was at the five year mark, we probably would have figured out how to really do it and, and make it make sense. Um, but we were just kind of throwing darts at a dartboard learning, you know, and to be break even at five years, I'd say not bad. But it was at that mark, at that point, that's when Denver and the Mile High Orchestra went on the Fremantle show out on Fox. And we had to release them from any contractual obligations in order for them to be on that show. So that was a great line in the sand. Like, you guys go on the show with our blessing. We're going to release you from all contractual obligations. And good luck. Now, I'm a drummer on that, too, so I have some invested interest in, in letting them go. Right. But it was at that point that the producer that I had been hiring to produce Denver's records, he came to me and said, man, we have a great working relationship. Maybe let's start a production company instead. Gotcha. And that's where Advantage That's where music Advantage Music Production, production came control. in. So I ran that record label for five years. Call it success because we didn't lose money. Yeah. Um, and we had three artists at, at our peak. And, you know, it was fun. Um, but it was a different time. 
it was it was almost the exact wrong time to be in the record label business because the early 2000s where we started 2002 i think it was um mp3s were just coming into prominence mm-hmm. so therefore cd sales were just starting to dip off but you still had to manufacture and make like physically produce a plastic CD, you know. So you still didn't make those, but they're not selling as well. Uh, you have MP3 circling around, and then iTunes comes in right around that time, and so that's still very new. And how do you really make any money on iTunes? And it was so new that we were having to live in an old school production mode and selling mode without really knowing how to use the new school models. Here's a little fact for you, if you'd like. So we had Denver and the Mile High Orchestra were on that show on Fox, playing in front of millions of people, I think 15 times. And the majority of that was over the month of December, November and December. Would you like to know how much our little record label made off iTunes sales from all that exposure? Please tell me. $4,000. Okay. So it, it, it tells you... Okay, just because you have tons of exposure on television mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you are going to make millions on I, just from iTunes downloads. Right. It's not possible. So and it's was, even less now with Spotify and places like that because there are fractions of pennies that you right. get yeah, per you, download. Yeah, you got to have um, you know four hundred thousand down uh, four hundred thousand streams gets you. I, I think a million streams on Spotify is like three thousand dollars. I think that's what, what yeah, it's, it roughly it's, is now. The point is, uh, you can't... You, I can produce a song for $3,000. Right. That's about what it would cost to for my company to produce a song, between 1500 and 3000 So you got to think, can I get a million streams to cover that cost? No, probably not. But with downloads, with YouTube streams, with tour... Can you get it? Yeah, absolutely. So mm-hmm. from a record label standpoint now, it's very different. And right as we were coming out of my time doing record labels was when we called 360 deals, where a record label would say, we are going to take a piece of everything you do. And boy, artists just screamed about it. How dare you take some of my touring money? How dare you take some of my uh, streaming money? What? No, it's because the only way to make it now is you have to tour, you have to uh, do Spotify streams, you have to do YouTube streams, you have to do uh, iTunes downloads, you have to, you have to have to have to you have to do all of this. Mm-hmm. And so, for a record label to make any money to then be able to reinvest in your career and pay their paychecks because they're working for you, they have to take a piece of everything. Mm-hmm. So I've been out of it. I've been out of the record label side of it for quite a long time. Uh, you know, I, I could be talking about obsolete stuff at this point, but well, I don't think it's. I mean, I think it's a reality that people need to be aware of that. You know, for independent labels, at least, you know, big major labels, it's probably going to work a little different on some levels, but it's still a reality that people have to go through. You know, it's all a gamble. Yeah. You no matter what, this industry is a gamble. Oh, you well, know, sure. It's a huge. It's all risk. <laughs> you know, you're hoping for the best. And you're working, and you know I talk about it all the time. It's it's relationship based, you know everything that you do, 
for the most part, is based on networking and relationships that you've built with people over the years that allow you to do things that, you know, you started a label. Denver got signed to Real Loud Records because your dad said, hey, Jared, let's start a record label. They needed money. They got signed to your label. And you guys had five good years, you know, doing that and then got released to be able to go do the show. And, you know, I mean, it's just it's all stepping stones to different things. Yep. What would you say, just kind of closing out, what would be some advice that you would give people that are wanting to get into this crazy world? Well, Um, you know, either as a musician or somebody who wants to start a studio, you know, because you're an engineer and you're a producer and there's still tons of stuff we haven't even talked about. But um, but just in general, what's some advice, some, some things to do, some things not to do trying to get into the music industry? Um, let's talk about it from a couple different angles for the person that wants to be a professional playing their instrument. Right. Okay. Seek after your uniqueness. We talked about that. You really do have to practice your butt off and, and making sure that you are as good as you possibly can be for that moment. Now, over the course of your life, you are going to get better. Mm Mm-hmm. Based on your experiences, you might get worse if you stop playing for a little while, you know. Mm-hmm. But the point is, if you're young, get really great at your instrument and really great at what makes you unique. And go about the business of finding a group of people that you mesh well with. So just sitting in your basement practicing your saxophone, no one is driving by hearing you play in your practice space go man i gotta hire him for the next beyonce tour doesn't work that way you get jobs by running in a circle of people that are your friends so that are already doing it that yeah that are already doing it and and you use your friends and i don't say that as a bad thing but you use your friends to help bring you to the jobs that they're doing. And then when you get a job, you call your friends. Here's a story for you. Okay. I was in college and Dan Huff was coming to give a, a special lecture. Dan Huff being a huge producer. Big time producer. Faith Hill played on Michael Jackson records, you know, whatever. So I, being a senior, I'm in the back of the auditorium and I raised my hand during Q&A. I said, Mr. Huff, I'm a great drummer. What can I do to convince you to ever use me on one of your sessions? Okay. And people in the room knew me because I was a senior. They all turned back at me and give me these looks of, how dare you ask such a pompous and arrogant question? But Dan got it. He understood what I was asking. Yeah. I was really impre- proud of and appreciate. He understood. I wasn't trying to tell him I'm a great drummer. Right. I'm just trying to say I could handle one of your sessions. What, what could I ever do to convince you to call me instead right. of... Vinnie Caliuta, or whoever you call. Sure. And he said, Jared, there's nothing you could ever do. I will never call you for a session. Likely. Because I don't know you. We're not friends. The drummer that I call, we are friends. We are in Sunday school together. My wife and his wife, are they do play dates together with our kids. Mm-hmm. So I think the advice that I'm trying to give someone young, trying to break in, is align yourself with a group of friends and it is your friends sticking with your peer group 
as your peer group moves throughout various gigs up the ladder of the music industry, right. that is what will help grow your career. And then when your friends move, you move with them. And when they move, uh, when you move, you bring them with you. You know, it's it's all this lifting up of everybody within your friend group. Yeah, and I, you know, I'll say that just to kind of go back up a little bit when we're talking about doing the show Nashville, you know, and you and I, we've we've walked up this industry together. And you've played on my albums, and we've done multiple different things together. You've toured together with other artists. You've gone on the road with played for me. Um, I've come in and done some stuff with you. And when it came to the show Nashville, I wanted to get on that show because I love doing music, but I also love acting. I did, I did some acting stuff, you know, a couple different shows back in the day, um, like extra work or whatever. But I always loved that just entertainment industry in general and always wanted to if I didn't do music then I was either going to be a director or an actor those are the things I wanted to do and so when Nashville came to town Nashville came to Nashville um, I wanted to get on that show and I wanted to play in some of the bands and I found out that you had done the show for like the first four seasons you'd been on it and so I was over here with you doing something one day and you mentioned it and I was like man I really want to be on that show like that's something that I want to to do and accomplish. I've never got to, I've never done it to that extent before and I really want to be be in that. And I was like, what do I need to do? And you're like, well, I just need to call Sherry Cunningham and tell her that you'd be interested, you know, and get your, you know, I just need your headshot or whatever and I'll email it to her. And so that's what we did, you know? Right. And then she literally called me the next day. Hey, Jared, tell me about you. I, I need you f to come in and play on the show next week. <laughs> Right. It's like, yes, thank you so much. So yes. Thank you to her and thank you to you for opening an opportunity for me that sure. I wouldn't have, have known how to get into otherwise. Right. Because you can't just call up and say, hey, I want to be on the show. That doesn't right. work that way, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but that, that's that's to my point. Like, we are in our same We're friend in the group. circle, yeah. Same, same circle. And, hey, you've got a record or you, you've, you've brought me certain work, you know, for production and, and whatnot and renting the studio and it wasn't me, my way of saying thank you. It was my way of, hey, we're all raising each other's boats. Sure. We're in the same friend group. I I want you to be successful. And I want you to be successful. Exactly. So that's that's how that works. So, so you know, it's the super long answer to if I have one piece of advice, it's stick with your peer group, be friends, and help each other out. Yeah. You know, um, so that's, that's, that's really... If I can hang my hat on, on any one thing, yeah. that's what I would tell people to do. Yes, you have to be good. Mm -hmm. At least a baseline level of good. Mm -hmm. There's always someone better. There's always a better musician out there. Yeah, and the, the, just like we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation, you know, with Belmont and, you know, Nashville being an ocean full of musicians and we're a small fish in this huge pond of people that are amazing at what they do. Yeah. But and I've talked about this a lot with other people is you got to, you got to be able to get along with people. You have to be fun to hang out with, you know, and to have that circle of, of peers to be with that you can work with and just be around. Yeah. If, it, if you're a jerk, nobody wants to be around you. Sure. And, and wants I, to work with you. I'm going to, I'm going to add something to what you're saying. Fun to be around. Um, for some people can conjure up this image of life of the party. Right. And I'm not the life of the party by any by any stretch. I'm not a walk in the room and 
and I'm making jokes and the whole thing. Enjoyable to be with, though. But at least for the most part, (laughs) um, uh, but I'm working with my friends. Mm -hmm. My friends and I have affinity. My personality works with other people's personality in the room. And so, therefore, it all just works. Mm -hmm. So, yes, being a jerk, um, I, I, I do know some jerks that still get work, but... It just it happens to work with the other personalities in the room. They tolerate it because maybe he's really good, or they tolerate it because maybe they just know the guy. Ah, that's just Joe being Joe, right? You know, and and it doesn't ruffle their feathers. So, your personality is unique to you. It's your fingerprint. Your musicianship, your art is unique to you. It's your fingerprint. Find other people that your fingerprints and your uniqueness works with, hmm. both personality and your art. And it just goes together. It's great. Yeah. And and don't be mad when Carrie Underwood doesn't call. Yeah. Because someone just saw someone from my hometown the other day, and they said, "Why aren't you playing for Carrie Underwood?" Like, okay, I understand that question. It I understand where that comes, where it comes from. But I don't play for Carrie Underwood because Carrie Underwood really likes her drummer. Yeah. His fingerprints his personality works with her band mm-hmm. you know that's why i don't play with her <laughs> and so and garrett that's good for him that's great and he's awesome at it mm-hmm. and i'm glad for him yeah you know but don't make me feel bad because carrie underwood only has one drummer and likes him <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> but that that's just someone not understanding how it works. Just, yeah, it's not knowing how the industry works around. Yeah. Well, dude, man, we could sit and talk for another two hours easily. I know, but that there's would just, just bore everybody. There's just, oh, I, I don't think so. It's fascinating. Like, this this is great stuff. It's great well, information, and, and you know, but eventually we got to bring it to you. There's so much that we have not even covered. So I, I, we'll have to have you back at some point. And yeah. So anyway, well, thank you for your time. Thanks for letting me come hang out with you, and thank you for your friendship for 20, pushing 20 years, and it's awesome. And we'll continue to, to lift each other's boats up and go up in the industry, and hopefully we'll still be doing this when we're 70, 80 years old. And, I hope so. You know, see what happens. All right, man. Thanks for having me. This was a blast. Awesome. Thank you so much. Good to see you. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. I'm so excited and so honored that you spent your time with us getting to know Jared and his story better and learning from him and all of his expertise within the music industry. I hope you take what we talked about and apply it to your career in the ways that best fit what you're trying to do in the music industry. Remember, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. If you need consulting services via phone call, Skype, or FaceTime, be sure to let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.